Okay, your mic's on. Hi. Hi, Don. Oh, it's it's still on continuous. Yeah. Uh, Yours uh, is. Yeah, good. So, I was just thinking about this right before I got on here, and I heard the podcaster playing, uh, talking about the very same thing. I'm thinking about the thought I. Uh huh. It, it seems to me that the problematic part of it is not so much the assertion that there's something there which is not there, but the kind of unfounded sense of familiarity or completeness of understanding where we just think it and then that's it and we don't question it. We, don't, we always think of the the body-mind as uh, so familiar and taken for granted that there's no need to deal with it intellectually. Well, yeah, most people think it's silly to even talk about it. Yeah. Uh, hold on, I need to fix my uh, volume. Okay. Yeah, so... We think we mean something, or at least I do, when I think I. I don't think we think anything when we talk. Our, our language machine just generates this shit. There's no we thinking it. It's just happening. Yeah. It, it's you. The thought occurs, and you think, oh, yeah. But if you start to explore, it's a thought of something there which is not there. Right. Because you can't find it when you look for it. Yeah. Well, I guess what I don't get is why that, that understanding does not immediately blow the whole problem out of the water. Uh, yeah. Well, sometimes it does. And when it finally happens, it does blow it all out of the water. But there's, again, there's a difference between understanding it and getting it. Understanding yeah. it, talking about it, being able to classify it and explain it and, and identify the problem, all that. None of that, I mean, that's all nice. But that's why... Uh, I think meditation is absolutely essential. Well, essential, maybe not essential, but from my perspective, uh, without some practice, some nonverbal practice, then, you know, understanding this just doesn't really make any difference. It's just more bullshit in the language machine. Yeah, it doesn't seem to matter how sophisticated the understanding is. I mean... I, I produce better and better words. Yeah, you get lot, you can get really good at talking about it, and it and sounds amazing, you know. But uh, well, like I say my sense is, in fact, I've been thinking about our talks 
uh, on and off for the last day or so. And uh, and I'm beginning to think that really, you know, you already understand all this shit. That That's not the issue. You know, talking about this, I don't think is going to make much. Well, I mean, it won't hurt, I guess. But, but it's fun. Yeah. But it's not going to make much difference, I don't think. Not a, it, I mean, I shouldn't say that. I mean, it, it might. Again, that's the thing is that when you wake up, it, it just happens. You wake up and maybe it, you wake up after 30 years of working on it or maybe you wake up for no reason whatsoever just because you stumbled on a book at the right time, you know. Uh, I... I I would highly recommend that you start setting aside, I mean, really, I would make a commitment for the next year to twice a day for 20 minutes each to do Gendo. Not, I mean, I, I could, we could talk specifically about what that meditation consists of. I mean, I don't, again, I don't really like the word meditation, but it's more or less what other people would call meditation, I guess. So, yeah, I, I think that Again, the, just talking about this stuff, I, you know, I don't, well, I think you need more than just talk. You already understand it. There's nothing I'm going to say that you haven't already heard. Yeah. What happens is over a period of, say, a year of meditating, literally a new sense of self emerges that never existed before, one that isn't bound by the language machine. And I don't know any other way to do that than by sitting quietly and, you know, just observing the whole process. There, there was a time when I... I guess I liked the idea of meditation, but when it came right down to it, I didn't spend a whole lot of time doing it. Yeah, but, no, you actually have to do it. That's yeah. But the, yeah, but then there was a, a period there for a while where that was all I wanted to do, and I spent as much time on that as I could. You know, walking. You say a period. How long? Well, I'm not sure, but I, I'm guessing. I'm guessing four months. Oh, really? Okay, so so multiple times a day. And what kind of meditation were you doing? What what specifically were you doing? Well, um, one of the things I really like is kind of walking around alone in, I guess I wouldn't say wilderness, but just kind of uh, an uh, untamed sure uh, yeah. place yeah. with trees and stuff. Uh huh. Not, that's not meditation. It's just walking around in the forest. I mean, it's nice. That's a good thing to do. But that's well, not. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, it's. Well, at least that's not what I'm there. talking about, anyway. I mean, yeah. I mean, again, that's a wonderful thing to do. Probably, I, I wouldn't suggest you stop doing that. That sounds like a good thing to do, but that's not what I'm talking about. All right. Well, let's. Uh, let's just say that I, I've spent a lot of time in various situations in which uh, I didn't have anything going like you know, music or TV or anything, yet I was not bored. Yeah. Yeah, that's, all, all that's fine. Like I said, that's, uh, that's not a problem at all. That's just not what I'm talking about. Well, um, 
it, it's uh, it's go time here. So give me everything you got. Okay. All right. So let's let's. There are a couple. There are a couple of aspects of this thing, and and it, and it's it's not a hundred percent laid out exactly what to do. It does involve a mantra, and the mantra is alternating between the sounds ah and e. So, actually, just say them out loud. Ah. Ah. Okay, and e. E. All right, now, hear it without actually saying it. Just hear it in your head. Ah and e. Okay. And then slowly, you know, just switch back and forth between them. Just, just hearing it. And I and I assume you can feel your tongue tending to move up for E and down for ah. Yes. Okay. So that's the mantra. Uh, and I'm not suggesting that that has to be done for the entire 20 minutes. You can come back to that if you find yourself, you know, thinking about having a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Uh, the, the mantra will break that. Uh, but the thing... I really want you to pay attention to is breathing, okay? And there's a particular kind of breath, and, and you can it's easier to practice this breathing laying on the floor on your back. But but once you once you get used to the the rhythm of this, well, not the rhythm because there really isn't a rhythm. But once you get used to doing this, you can do it in any kind of meditating posture. Um, can you do a, a half lotus? Do you know what a half lotus is? Uh, well, I'm sure you can look it up, you know, on YouTube it, or something. It's it's most people can do a half lotus. If not, just regular cross-legged is fine. Or sitting in a chair. Um, there, the posture. You just want to be in a posture that supports you, uh, so that you don't have to think about anything, <laughs> like your posture. Okay. okay. So I mean, half. I mean, I can't do a full lotus, but the half lotus works really good, and, and it still locks your legs in place. And uh, so, and, and this part of that posture takes some practice because um, at first it's going to hurt for a while. You know, after a few minutes of sitting there, you're going to want to change your posture. Um, well, let me think about this for a second. Actually, let's go back. Let's let's talk about. Okay, we talked about the mantra. Ah, e, ah, e, ah, e. Okay, that that's one aspect. Is the breathing thing is what I call death breath, <laughs> or mm. or corpse breathing. I like that. Okay, so uh, are you? Can you uh, lay down actually right now and mm. still talk? I mean, do you have a? Will that work? Uh, let me see here. I mean, if you're star at Starbucks, that that probably won't work. So, <laughs> you know, or wherever you are. Well, I can lay down here, but it would be on a uh, a hard chair mat. Oh, I don't really care what. Actually, uh, I could probably if you can. It would be. I can talk you through this. You don't need to actually lay down and do it right now because it's a relatively simple thing to do. It's just, um, it's just, you know, if you could practice it, it, it would be helpful. But you can practice it later. Okay, let me explain how this this works. Um, 
you're probably familiar enough with the idea of breathing as a central I- issue in uh, in meditation. You're just paying attention to the like the tip of your nose as as the air goes in and out. Mm-hmm. You're familiar with that. Yeah. Okay. Well, in this breathing, in fact, I'm going to just do it while I'm here. There are um, three sets of muscles that are used in breathing. The primary one is the diaphragm. You know where, where the diaphragm is, right? Below your lungs and your belly. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the way babies breathe, is they do what's called belly breathing. Okay. That's the, that's the meditation I'm most familiar with, paying attention to that. The belly? Yeah. Okay, well, this is going to use all three sets of muscles, though. And, and I warn you to be careful doing this, because I, in fact, broke a rib doing this meditation once. And, and uh, so you don't want to push this too far. <laughs> okay. okay? So b- basically what you do is, you, like I say, to begin learning, to get familiar with this, it's probably better to just do it laying on your back on the floor. Okay, but I say once you get familiar with it, you can do it in lotus position or sitting in a chair or doing it anywhere. But, but what you do is you start by just inhaling using first your diaphragm. And then when your diaphragm has gone as far as it can go, then you expand your rib cage, you know, your, your chest. And you can get more air when you do that. So you got... Oh, hold on just a second here. Hold on. Okay, you, you there still? Yes. Okay. Um, so, okay, so three sets of muscles. The, the, it begins with the diaphragm and then the chest, and that lets you take, I'd say probably the diaphragm accounts for about 40% of your lung capacity, say. And you can get another say 40 or 50 percent as you expand your chest. And then finally, when those are as far as you can go, and again, you need to be careful with this chest thing because uh, you can go too far. (laughs) So don't go too far. Uh, And then lastly, you raise your shoulders. And you can get another like five percent or something. Okay, just like like a shrug sort of. So, okay. So you you want to try that for a second and see if you can see what I'm talking about. Yeah. So go ahead and do that, and 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 do this slowly too. Uh, to to complete in breath should take oh maybe five seconds, something like that. Or even longer. There's no, you know, but basically do this slowly. Start with the diaphragm. When the diaphragm has gone as far as it can go, then you expand the chest, and then finally you raise your shoulders. And then you hold it for about two seconds. How fast do you let out? You just let out uh, by relaxing, which means there'll be a gush of air going out. 
uh, at f for the first half second or so. And then here's the, the fun part. This is where you pretend like you're dead. Uh, what happens, you know, I mean, we are literally living at the bottom of an ocean of air. I think it's 15 pounds per square inch pressure is on us uh, from the atmosphere. If you just relax, after taking in that breath, you just let it out and relax. And if you, and if you just allow, pretend like your body is dead, what, what happens is, like I say, at first there's a rush of air, and then it slows down, and then there's just a trickle of air coming out. And what you find is that there's no need to take another breath immediately. Okay, You can just lay there relaxed, allowing the ocean of air above you pushing on your chest to slowly drive out the air that's remaining in your lungs, okay? And you don't force it out. You just lay there, and like I say, a dead body actually sinks in from, from, the, uh, from the compression, from the, the pressure of the air that we live in. And your body actually, again, if you're not... Uh, struggling against it with your muscles, your body actually caves in. And that's, that's what we want to do here, is you, take, you get your lungs absolutely full, well, not absolutely, but full enough, but not so full as to break your ribs, and, and then you just relax, and then you just lay there, and you don't take another breath until you really need to. And, and I don't mean going to the point where you're struggling, you know, you're going to pass out. What you do is you sort of experiment and explore this realm of just when do you really need to take a, a breath and exploring the uncomfortableness of it, okay? Uh, and, and, and it's not about, like, getting it really uncomfortable, not, you know, so that you go <gasps> and have to gasp for a new breath. It's just don't take a new breath until you really feel like you need to, you know, you want to. It's, it's, it's not you're in, in dire straits, but it's beginning to get uncomfortable. And what you'll find is that what you're comfortable with will change over a period of time. At first, uh, it, it'll be more uncomfortable, but after a while you get used to this just sort of laying there and, and feel, you know, just sort of sinking under the weight of the atmosphere. And then after... Basically, I, I, can, I can do this about you know, easily three breaths per minute. And you can get it down to two, actually, without any, too much problem. It's just not that big a deal. Uh, so and, and that's what this breathing technique is, okay? You take, take in a breath, use, first using your diaphragm, then your ribs, then your shoulders. You hold that for about two seconds, and then totally relax, and like I say, at first there's a rush of air that comes out, and then there's just a trickle of air. And for maybe uh, 20 seconds, maybe 30 seconds, <laughs> you know, you just sit there. And then when it begins to get uncomfortable enough, and you feel okay, yeah, I'm really ready for some some more air, then you do, then you repeat it. After after I have exhaled. And then I uh, pause and and not immediately inhale again. 
mm-hmm. is there the um, is there that that muscle in the throat that kind of closes to not allow more air in, or does it just not? Happen? No, no. You, the whole thing is relaxed. Basically, you're just going to relax. Again, that's why I call it being. It's like being dead. You know, you just you don't do anything. You don't close anything. You don't open anything. You just relax. You're not going to take in any more air unless your diaphragm takes in more air. Air isn't going to go in your lung. Like I say, the tendency is, if, like I say, in a dead body collapses under the weight of air. It doesn't just take in air. The only time it takes in air is when the muscles expand the cavity in your chest where the lungs are, and that draws air in. If you don't do that, no air is going to go in. You want to try this? Uh, well, I, I have sort of, but uh, you mean go and yeah, go I mean, and just, lie I down mean, for a minute and then well, come back. Well, yeah, if you can do that, uh, yeah, let's let's see what your experience is, and and uh, yeah, and then I'll be here and just uh, you know take a couple of minutes and uh, try that, and then we'll we'll see, you know. We'll talk about, you know, if you have any questions or anything. All right. Okay. Uh, I'll be back in about five minutes. Okay. I am back. Okay, I'm here. Uh, there, there was a tendency to want to breathe in again immediately after breathing all the way out. Well, actually, you're, listen, you're not breathing all the way out. You are not breathing out. You're relaxing. Okay. Uh, so, so I don't want you to try to breathe out. The effort is in breathing in. Breathing out, you're just lying there basically feeling gravity and the ocean of air compressing your body. Okay, so so like I say, there's first there's a rush of air that comes out, and then there's just a trickle, and that trickle will continue for is, until you take another one. Because like I say, what's happening is your body, if you're relaxed, and that's part of it, is learning to relax. You know, it's a, it, sometimes it surprises me. I've forgotten how much tension people carry in their bodies without yeah. without being aware of it, having muscles tensed that don't need to be tensed but but just because we've learned you know you know it's it's like people's faces people carry all sorts of tension in their faces you yeah. know I mean, a large part of what people look like is is the fact that their faces are all scrunched up <laughs> you know with muscular tension rather than just you know when there's no need for that you know you need when you're sitting you need to keep certain muscles in your back, you know, uh, in certain states of tension so that you don't fall over. But uh, when you're lying down, there's no need for any muscle anywhere in your body to be doing anything except for your heart, I guess. <laughs> you know, that's, and the bladder. Well, that's not a muscle. It... Uh... Well, the, the, the cutoff thing, so you're not always uh, emptying it. Ah, okay, yeah, all right. 
Yeah, because that's basically elastic. So in, in any case, you're you're that's beside the point. <laughs> anyway, so um, yeah, and you're right. The, the tendency is as soon as most of the air is gone and it feels like your lungs are empty, you you want to take a breath. But that's that. This is precisely what we want to explore in this is just because all your life that's the way you've always done it when you explore this you find out that actually you can go way past where you initially want to take a breath and find that you're really still quite comfortable and that you really don't need to take a breath at all but this again this comes by exploring this space over a period of you know weeks and months I like uh, it so uh, so the, the main thing is is that you are not actually actively exhaling. All you're doing is relaxing and allowing gravity and air pressure to uh, collapse your body, which so, forces the air out. So it's not as though I'm, I'm going to then try and absolutely empty my lungs. No, air. no, no. Don't try to do anything. Yeah. Just relax. They'll it'll empty by itself. Yeah, that uh, that that part about relaxing that's that's been a uh, a struggle for okay. some time. All right. Well, then this will be good practice for that, and because you can observe, you know, all of the all of the tensions in your body. Why? And that's the other thing is that it part is part of this process. Uh, See, oh, anyway, there, there, like I say, there are several things here. There was the mantra, there's this breathing technique, and, and then there's basically just observing the language machine. And, of course, when you, when you discover that your language machine is, sa is saying something like, oh, shit, I should take a breath or something, that's when, that's when you do uh, the mantra. So, uh, e. Yeah, yeah. Only you can just just like that. You know, again, it's it's all silently in your head, though. You're not actually saying this out loud. It's just basically, it's just a way to uh, what's the word? You know, to occupy your language machine. If your language machine is busy, you know, you're again when thinking is a muscular activity. It involves all the muscles of, of your vocal tract and all of that. I mean, without, I mean, that's what it means to think in language is to talk to yourself. So if you give your, that's why mantras work, is if your mouth is busy going she ring, she ring, or ai, ai, or ufa, ufa, or gujalina, or any goddamn thing, it doesn't make any difference. Your language machine is occupied. It can't be thinking that asshole that cut me off on the freeway yesterday. Man, I hope I see him again. <laughs> you know? So it's just a sort of sledgehammer technique to shut down the, the typical kind of language bullshit that's going on. Now, when you're, when you're um, saying uh, in your head, how are you breathing? Well, you're, you're breathing... Again, you're doing the breathing <laughs> technique that we just talked about. Oh, uh, the two of them concurrently. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The breathing again. It, all that, all that ah, e, ah, e is is the move is a tongue movement. It doesn't make any difference whether you're breathing or exhaling or inhaling or any of that shit. It's just the tongue movement. 
again, it's a, it's a minute, it's a hundredth of a millimeter. I mean, it's a tiny little movement. It's, and sometimes the tongue may not actually move at all. It just tends to move. You know, it start, it, it's just, it's a very subtle feedback loop from your brain to the muscles that, you know, of speech. And as long as the, the cycle or the circuit is completed and, and the, and the brain gets a feedback that it's, that it's moving to E as opposed to ah, then you hear E in your head. Yeah. But, but again, the movement is actually, I mean, I, I guess there has to be some movement, but literally it's, it's in like hundredths of a millimeter. If there's any movement, I mean, there probably is some movement, but again, it's just, it's about the brain sending a signal to your tongue and your tongue sending some feedback to your brain that it's, doing something. Mm. I mean, when we talk to ourselves, that's what we do. We, we sub-vocalize. It's, it's very, I mean, most people just have never paid any attention to this shit, but I mean, if you, if you pay attention to, again, that's part of what all this is, is paying attention to, to all this shit, this language stuff, because over a period of time, what happens is, over a period of time, Literally, a new you emerges that is not bound by language. I mean, the concept of I emerges within the context of language for children. They have language before I shows up. I shows up as a function of language. So, most people, their entire life, their concept of self is bound by language. In doing this kind of a procedure, what happens is you get experience of, of, you know, without the language machine or, you know, without attachment to it and certainly without it because actually you can short circuit it with the, the mantra. But you find that you're still, there's still an, there's still something going on, but, uh, but it's not bound by the language machine. This is all really difficult to talk about as far as I'm concerned. I, I'm not at all happy about what I'm saying right now. <laughs> but but it's the best I can do so far. Well, I first encountered the subvocalization thing as part of one of those speed reading courses mm -hmm. where they're talking about going beyond that. And yeah. it actually was part of the course to kind of disrupt the the sub-vocalization by just uh, saying in your head random things while you're trying to read so that you force your brain to switch over to just processing it visually. But I don't uh, think that's possible. I think they're full of shit. You do? Yeah. Well. I, I don't think you can really read anything new without and understand it without sub-vocalizing. Uh, if you're not sub-vocalizing, you're not doing anything. You're well, just looking I, at words. Well, I I sure as hell would like to figure out how Osho read seven books a day or whatever it was. Well, who knows what he did. There are people who can do amazing things with reading, who can scan a book and remember the whole goddamn thing, but that's not something I, th I don't think that... Well, it may be something you can learn. Um, I don't know. Um, yeah. But again, uh, 
and and that may be possible that anybody can do that, but I don't think we really have a clue as to how. I I did that Evelyn Woods reading dynamics thing years ago, yeah, and uh, I actually got my money back from them. That <laughs> they were awesome. they were uh, a little scary trying. You know, they didn't like uh, giving their money back, but uh, giving me my money back. But they did. Basically, I blackmailed them. I found some articles that showed what a fucking ripoff they were and how their testing procedures were totally flawed. And so I Xeroxed a whole bunch of these things and went to one of their <laughs> seminars where they were trying to sell it and started handing them out and told them if they didn't give me my money back, I was just going to keep doing this. And so <laughs> finally they gave me my money back. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah, it turns out their their whole procedure was so. I mean, they their whole they had this big testing deal where they 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 bring you in the first day and uh, they have you read something and they measure your speed and they give you a comprehension test and they you know and if you get say eighty percent right and you read say three hundred words per minute or something and you got eight, then they they multiply that times the correct you know how many you know what your percentage correct and so if you were three hundred words and eighty percent then your your figure was uh, two hundred and forty okay yeah and so in their in their the way they were selling their seminars that they were gonna you know like multiply you know they were gonna make your uh, your uh, score Ten times higher than it was normally. Okay, so then they finally, in the very end, they have you read. They had us read the Old Man and the Sea, the whole fucking book in like four minutes, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then they give you this multiple choice test, where if you just guessed, you'd get one out of four correct. Oh, you know, but if you're reading thirty thousand words a minute. At twenty-five percent comprehension, that that looks like you're amazing. But the uh, the test was so fucking flawed. I mean, you could easily. I mean, the answers. I mean, there were like four possible choices. Two of them were so stupid that any idiot could eliminate them. So really, you're only guessing between one of two. And and if it. You know, so the the, the test the statistics meant absolutely nothing. But it, but it looked, I mean, it made sense when you think about it. Yeah, so many words per minute, uh, comprehension at 80%. Yeah, right. <laughs> but no, and it doesn't work that way. Yeah. Well, it, it didn't for me. Well, and there are people, apparently, who can read extremely fast and remember. There are people who have photographic memories, you know, who can tell you that on page 79 in the third paragraph, eighth word is discomfort, <laughs> you know? Yeah, like Rain Man. Yeah, but, uh, you know, I, you know, I, I don't know how, yeah, I, mean, I can't explain that. I don't know how to help people. There are amazing things going on in the world. But my sense is, for me to understand something, I mean, it takes me a long time to read. I may read a paragraph. This book I'm reading right now, uh, you know, I'll read a paragraph. And then I'll put the book down and think for 10 minutes. And like reread re re it, and then put the book down and think about it for 10 more minutes, and then read the next paragraph. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a slow reader, but, but uh, you know, the, the stuff I do read has a pr pretty good impact on me. I mean, I get it, what's there. 
And people who, and again, it depends on what you're reading. If you're just reading, you know, pablum, you know, if there's nothing challenging or anything in there, you could probably read real fast and skip all sorts of stuff. But, you, you, you know, a good writer, you want to read every word. You want to get the rhythm of the speech. It, it's, there's all sorts of stuff going on. So That's true. And again, especially if you're reading something that's challenging, uh, you have to stop and think about it. Yeah, if you were to blaze through a text which you were totally unfamiliar with and the thing was uh, important and challenging information, in order to read really fast and also really well, you would have to uh, somehow have available exposure in your mind to all the different relevant areas at the same time as though you were thinking ten different ways all in the same moment. And, <laughs> and I don't who think knows? that's possible. Well, maybe it is. You know, like I say, maybe some people can do that. Maybe in the future we'll learn how to teach that. and We'll really be able to do that. Maybe we'll be able to just upload books into our head and have it all. You know, who knows? But right now, um, language is a muscular activity. If, as far as I'm concerned, if you're not sub-vocalizing, you don't really understand what the fuck you're doing. You may pick up a phrase. You're, unless you're one of these weird people who just happen to, to be able to, you know, read a book in two minutes and, and tell you everything that was in the book. But even that, I wonder, yeah, they can say what, again, they usually test on fiction, not nonfiction. Yeah, I you know, that. So, so, you know, it's just, yeah, you can tell, yeah, I, I read uh, War and Peace, you know, yeah, it's about Russia. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember that quote. They, <laughs> they bring Woody that up Allen. in most books about reading that I've read. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so, it, it, you know, yeah, if it may be possible to read fiction and, and catch the storyline, you know, but what about all the subtleties? I mean, if it's, if it's a good writer, there's all sorts of subtle connections going on between things here and there, and, and uh, I just can't, well, I say, I, it's not in my experience that you can do that w uh, at any kind of speed. Yeah. Because it, it, it takes time to access all the relevant areas. Yeah. You got like that, I have to stop. I have to stop and think about it for a few minutes. If it's, if I'm reading something that's really good that's full of new ideas and something that's challenging me, God, I, I stop all the time and put the book down and think. Certainly. So I don't know, how did we get off on this? Yeah, that was my fault. I started talking about reading with a sub-vocalization. Oh, the sub-vocalization thing, yeah. Yeah, and that's what the mantra is, is at least as I see it, that's the, the why mantras work, is they short-circuit your language machine. You know, it, if your mouth okay. is, you know, if that part, part of the language machine is busy doing something, it can't be, be saying ah, e, ah, e, and I'm going to kill that asshole when I see him next time. <laughs> so anyway, um, you got the mantra, you got the breathing, and then you got 
like I say, just paying attention. Oh, and and after a while, this breathing technique, like if you're going to do this for, tw- I wouldn't. You don't have to do that for 20 minutes. Okay, you can start off doing that, and you can do it, and you can and you can allow your breath to just go normally for a while too. Uh, it's really a. I mean, the whole thing here is about detaching from the language machine. The breathing technique is just a, a way to help do that, but it's not the only part of it. Like I say, the mantra is part of it, and and just sitting and observing, just just sitting and being there. And when thoughts do come up, like I say, not not going with them, just noticing. Oh, I'm thinking about killing that son of a bitch. I what's for breakfast? I think I'm gonna and just keeping going back and and that, that's it. That's all there is to it. It's really very simple. But if you do that twice a day for 20 minutes each for a year, I I think I can probably guarantee that at the end of a year there will be a you that never existed before that is not bound by the story in your head. Or at least at the end of a year, I would say at the end of a year, you will have gotten everything you're going to get out of this. You may enjoy it. You may want to continue doing it. Uh, you may decide that you got what you needed out of it and there's no need to continue it. Or you do it once in a while when it feels good, you know. But I would say it it needs to be done. There needs to be a commitment for, like I say, about maybe a year. And at the, and again, if something happens before that, I mean, I would say you need to give it at least a year uh, trial. You it may not take a year. It, it may be clear after a month or two, or after six months, or you know whatever that uh, that the voice in your head is nothing to be concerned with anymore. And just yeah. All right. Uh. And again, th- th- this whole thing gets back to the idea that we talked about before, that there may be an organic issue, too. I mean, th- it may be that the cause of your feeling bad and depression or whatever the hell you want to call it isn't, I mean, for most people, my sense is it's a result of a malfunctioning language machine and identification with the language machine. But there are cases where that isn't enough, where there actually is something else going on and, and that that feeling is not being generated literally from a fucked up language machine, but because the brain itself is uh, chemically different or, or something and those feelings could be coming from something else. So that's again why I, I think this, but this is the, the best way, the place to start. If if this doesn't do it after, like I say, a year, then, you know, I mean, if if whatever issues you're dealing with aren't really gone, then I would say there's something else going on. Because if this doesn't do it, then then you're going to have to look somewhere else. Okay. And, and like I say, there, there are people who have definite, you know, like I say, Prozac is a fucking life changer for some people. I mean, probably 80 or 90% of the people that it's prescribed for, it, it doesn't do much of anything or it may help a little bit. But for a tiny percentage of people, it's just complete fucking life changer. You know, the, the, the depression just lifts and that's the end of it. They still have everyday normal problems like everybody else, but 
it's just the depression that plagued them for years just goes away. Uh, no therapy, no nothing. It's just a, a brain system that that, that needed uh, some a kick somewhere, you know. But I, I, I think that's rare, though. I think most people, I think it's really pretty much malfunctioning language machine. What what do you suppose a people uh, entirely out from under these uh, types of illusions might say in place of I? Um, well, I, I they might use their own name. Heron could talk about Heron. Yeah. And, and maybe the word I isn't a problem as long as it's understood to be just a convention of language. I mean, we, we talk about inches, and that's not a problem. But there aren't any such things as inches. But it's a useful fiction, and it doesn't get in the way, really, of much of anything. So and maybe, maybe the language... I don't know. Be, I, I think that's, those are fascinating words. What, what would a sensible... How would a sensible planet really talk? <laughs> and I don't know. I don't know. I remember reading about um, there there being some uh, children who haven't been speaking a whole lot who still kind of refer to themselves in the third person mm -hmm. uh, because they hadn't been they, yeah. they hadn't uh, fused they haven't with that idea up yet. yet. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So, like, Brian is hungry. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. have to learn that. That's the thing. We're programmed to conceive the world all around this thing called I. <laughs> it's totally insane. But just looking at the experience that is available to me right now without having to interpret it with thought in any way, I. I'm not seeing anything that requires the supposition that there is a, a an I or a, a self or a me or no. That's all language. That's just the way we've learned to talk. Yeah. There, if you just sit and observe again, if you make, once you draw the distinction between experience and stories, it's clear that I is just a story. It's a way of making sense of experience. There's no I in experience. There's just what's going on. And then, and then we come along and say, oh, well, I, I just saw a bird fly by. <laughs> oh, you saw it. Huh? Okay. And, and that's not, again, there's nothing wrong with that. That's a way of thinking about things, and it's not bad. The problem is when we start thinking that that is the way it is, as opposed to just a formula, a story that we came up with. Or not even that we came up with. Who came up with it? It's a story that arose. A bird went by. 
Well, does you, that, you, you, well, yeah. Does that does that contribute problems? A bird went by. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know if we can lay it complete. Again, it depends on who's doing the talking and and what their experience is. I don't know whether that <laughs> it could be a problem or maybe not. What if I told you the bird went by? <laughs> well, if we'd already been talking about a bird that you were familiar with and that I was familiar with, and you said, oh, you know, the bird went by again, and I, then that's not a problem. The isn't always wrong. It's, it's wrong most of the time, but especially with reifications, the truth, the reason, the answer. But uh, the car, go get the car. If you've only got one car and you tell somebody, go get the car, that's that's an appropriate use of the word the, or go get the blue car, or get the old car. The is correct sometimes, you know, maybe 5% of the time. It, it seems like there are at least two or three uh, really essential areas that I have not even begun to explore yet. Mm -hmm. But they're not like intellectually, they're not foreign ideas. I, I remember hearing them many times over and it, it it's strange. I remember reading a long time ago that I believe Ramana Maharshi uh, told people to practice asking this question, like, who am I? Mm -hmm. And things like that. Yeah. And I remember trying that and thinking that it wasn't, it didn't seem meaningful to me. But, but just recently, it's as though that area opened up mm. as a possible area that might need exploring. Well, look at, the, look at the, again, the, the, the impact of the way the question... This is why I think it's important to write down the questions. You write down the question, who am I? Well, that presupposes all, an answer to begin with. Why isn't the question, what am I? Why is it, who am I? Who, who already presupposes it's a person? Yes. As opposed to, what am I? And then when you get rid of the verb to be, if you have any sense at all, you're left with saying something like, to what does the word I refer? Now, that's not a bad question. Yeah, well, when I that's, asked that... That's very that, different. <laughs> when I asked that and I, I, I try to find the answer, it doesn't seem like there's anything there. That's right. <laughs> That's what you discover. To what does the word I refer? The answer is beats me. <laughs> I, I, I haven't got a clue. I, I see things and I Do hear you? things. Is there a you that sees things and hears things? Or is there just uh, seeing things and hearing things? Things are seen. There you go. <laughs> things are seen and things are heard. Well, at least it looks like that. <laughs> it sounds like that, yeah. And right at the moment, I'm not smelling anything or tasting anything that I'm aware of. <laughs> yeah. That you're aware of, that's the key. Of course, you're always smelling and all your senses are obviously always feeding data into your brain. Whether you're conscious of it or not, that's a separate issue. 
So, right, there, there are these senses, but they, it's unnecessary to think that they are around some other entity. They're just here. Well, again, this is all story, you know? Yeah. You can make up any goddamn story you want, you know? Some of them are useful, some of them are confusing, some of them are nonsense, some of them are helpful. Um, a lot of, you know, almost all of the talk that strikes me around this kind of stuff is just really fucked up. It's just almost impossible to make sense. That's why, again, it, it seems to me it's just the, the good place to start is uh, by silencing the whole thing. That's why meditation or whatever you want to call it uh, strikes me as the core for the whole thing. Because, you know, like I say, you, you, can, you can talk about this shit forever. You can understand it all. You can be really good at talking about it. Apparently, that's what I've done. Well, I think that's what we all do. Like I said, after 10 years, after my first whatever it was I had, I got to, you know, when I discovered Korzybski, I, I, up until that point, I realized, basically, that I was getting really good at talking about all this shit that Alan Watts talked about. I could repeat all the same stuff he said, and, and other people liked to listen to me talk about this stuff, I, you know, but it was, it was just talk. You know, I, I had to admit that I wasn't one bit closer to whatever the hell it was I thought I was going after, but I was a hell of a lot better at talking about it and, and, and convincing other people that I knew what I was talking about. Yeah. Actually, that reminds me. Uh, I wrote a, a bunch of stuff since the last time we talked about uh, questions and things that I had. Um, and I... I'm observing that there's uh, there appears to be two different kinds of these uh, authors and teachers and, and gurus, mm. um, and a lot of them see, they they seem to think their job is to explain things really well <laughs> or give someone a great understanding of uh -huh. it. Yeah, and um, you can you can tell that's what they're doing because. Uh, the people who come up there, like the students or whatever, they, they kind of fall into this thing where they're trying to put words to it really well. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, they're not as good at it as the person up there, but just that you're able to describe something with poetic eloquence doesn't mean that it's going to produce the effect that they're after. Yeah, that's what I was saying, is that you can understand all this shit, and, and if you don't get it, then... I mean, understanding is not a bad thing. It's it's good to have a little story that you can tell that, that makes sense, you know. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But knowing the story, understanding the story, doesn't necessarily mean that you get it. It's just another story you got in your head you can pull out when you need it. So could you say that, in a way, it's kind of a drawback to be really good at describing it? It could be. Depends on um, on the situation. Yeah. It's, it's, that's related to Edward de Bono's idea of the intelligence trap. Have you heard that before? Um, I don't think I've heard about it, but it sounds... Sounds, sounds right, yeah. Well, basically what he was saying is that people who are really intelligent uh, 
are are good are so good at arguing that they always win. You know that yeah. whenever they get in an argument with somebody, they always beat down the opponent, and and their idea succeeds. So they end up trapped in their own ideas because because they're better at defending them and articulating them than anybody else. And so they're never put in the position to have to reevaluate anything. Yeah. I. Yeah. And that can be dangerous, you know? There's quite a bit of that in my <laughs> recent ancestry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's good to be able to to do all that stuff. The problem, again, is being trapped in a story. I... Yeah. It, it doesn't seem to matter, ultimately, how good the story is. Like, even if it's an amazing story <laughs> and provides all kinds of clarity... Yeah. That doesn't It's still to... just a story. That's all it is. You know, it, it, you should never believe it. That's the thing is it's just a story. It may be a good one. I'm committed to the stories I've got. I love the stories I've, I'm using now. I don't believe them, but, yeah. but uh, they're the best stories I've got, and stories are real crucial. They're, they're very useful and, and important, and, uh, but they're just stories. And if, if a better story comes along, I'll dump them in a heartbeat. Well, so I say. <laughs> I, I've often uh, had the story running of being skeptical of belief and stuff like that, but it it would seem as though there's a lot of belief worming its way in undetected. Oh, it's it's yeah, yeah. No, you're you're yeah. That's why I want you to be doing this nonverbal stuff because, um, yeah. Well, I. <laughs> I've been trying to find a way out of it for a long time. Yeah. Well, um, I say I don't know any better way than what I've suggested. Uh, well, I will. I will explore it. Well, what I would suggest is that you commit to doing it for a year. I know that's asking a lot, <laughs> but well, that's my suggestion. You'll do whatever the hell you do, but. Um, how old are you now? I turned 30 a few days ago. Oh, okay, so you're still a fucking kid. So, yeah, you got plenty of time. No problem. <laughs> you no problem at all. Well, I I've I've been at this uh this type of thing for a long time. <laughs> I think since I was 17. Yeah. And uh, it's getting to the point where I I need to go ahead and get this figured out, otherwise yeah. everything else is just going to fall apart. Yeah, you need to to handle this and move on. There's a there's an analogy that she uh, made where he's talking about how you know, you can go out and do whatever you want, but unless you solve this uh, kind of I am identity thing, then uh, it's just going to be like a, a a hair stuck in your mouth. Yeah, and you're constantly yeah. worrying over. Yeah, it. yeah, absolutely. It's a good analogy. I like him. Yeah, yeah. I think he might be the uh, the other type of teacher that I was talking about. Her yeah, focus is not on uh, clarifying, explaining but, stuff, but undoing. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. To me, unlearning is the beginning of wisdom. Is is getting rid of 
all the stupid, unconscious, erroneous assumptions that we just live in. Again, it's, it's, it's breaking the identification with the story and the voice in the head. I mean, really, it's just, it seems so simple to me now that that's at the heart of this, this whole thing is that most people, most of the time, including me most of the time, are in this story. And, and most people, again, cannot even extricate themselves from it. I mean, they are totally identified with the story that's running in their head. Yeah, I mean, for someone like me who has been kind of fighting things for so long and to still be uh, able to be stuck so firmly in it, I can't imagine what it must be like for someone who's oh, not yeah. even trying oh, yeah, to question. Yeah. Well, they, they're not even aware of it as being a problem. That's that's another thing I was thinking about, <laughs> that, that if someone who is, they're unaware of the, the whole problem, but and are therefore not struggling with it, they may actually be closer to resolution of the problem because they're not struggling with an enemy that's not there. Well, I don't know. I think ultimately coming up with these grand generalizations about stuff strikes me as not very helpful. Ultimately, you just have to deal with each individual, you know, yeah. because every everybody's different, you know, and and everybody's path is different, and and some people I think probably are, are not in this game. I mean, mm. I think, factually, most people right now are not in this game. They're not even interested in this. They're not aware of it as being a potential for anything. They go to work. Uh, they have their family and their obligations and their friends and their television and uh, weekends and mowing the lawn and their lives are busy and uh, they got too many other things to deal with to worry about shit like this. And that's okay. Like I said, I, I think the species, I, I think, again, when you understand punctuated equilibrium, it's clear that humans are not a species. Yeah. You know, we are a, a, in a transition from monkeys to earthlings, and most people uh, are language monkeys right now and have no desire or intention or awareness to become an earthling. They just do what they do, and that's enough. They're happy or not whatever <laughs> you know but they don't question any of this stuff they just they just get up in the morning and go to work or if they're lucky they have a job you know or or get up and you know it's it, they're just not interested in this kind of stuff it's a tiny percentage of people you know that think about this stuff but it's growing it i seems. hope so <laughs> yeah, yeah i think it is i think it's growing quickly again i think it's the emergence of a new species but you know, it's a messy process. Yeah. Yeah, that's the other thing is this whole enlightenment bullshit supposed to, you know, somehow people get this idea, you know, if I could only be enlightened, you know, then I'd be happy all the time. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, you could be something all the time. <laughs> you already are something all the time. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, it's just, yeah, anyone who's looking for enlightenment is never going to find enlightenment. Well, I'm not so sure. I, well, the I, one I, who's I, looking for it is not going to find it. The one who's looking for it is going to evaporate, and the enlightened one who's already there will wake up. 
Oh. Well, again, the language around all this is just just inadequate. Yeah, that, that's another thing that I uh, wrote down here. There, the, there's a lot of people involved in this kind of thing who are attached to using not necessarily uh, scientific language, but language that is kind of vague and tries to impart a whole lot of specialness and and, and uh, mystification into it. Oh, I think yeah. that's probably counterproductive. Yeah. I, well, and again, it may be... Well, I agree with you. I, I think I most gurus... There are a few that I really like, you know, but the majority of them... Uh, I don't know. I don't know. They just put me off. I'm not quite sure why. I don't know. Maybe it's jealousy because they're out there... You know, and I'm here, and I'm not, you know, don't have world travel plans, <laughs> you know, or something. But I was really amazed at that young guy. That I listened to a little bit of his talk. Uh, yeah, right. Who the hell is he? Where the hell did he come from? Well, I think it's like uh, Sweden or Norway or one of those places. How long has he been? I mean, he doesn't even have a Wikipedia article, so he must be a new guy. I've been aware of him on YouTube for probably three years, and oh, beyond okay. that, I don't know. Surprised there's no nothing on Wikipedia about him. Interesting. I think I think even to call it spirituality uh, gives. Oh yeah, some I agree. Yeah. Problems. Like I don't the, like the yeah. The word spiritual would imply that there are some things that are spiritual and there are things that aren't spiritual. Yeah. We we talk about like material, uh, material things or uh, corporeal, physical objects as though those are somehow not special. Yeah, yeah. And if you really look at things, like I can, I can look at a a screw or a nail and think that, man, this I don't know what this is, but this is special. Well, again, language is just a big problem. We get trapped in it all the time. So, it would seem as though sometimes I am less trapped in it in a particular moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I that's mean, the way I it have, is for me. Like I say, I go in and out of the trance all the time. And the the, uh, the the key triggers for you are anger and unhappiness? Or, uh, well, yeah, when I fear. find that I'm unhappy for some reason, if I notice that, you know, something's going on I don't like, that's, that's the trigger for me. Well, what if, it's, uh, what if you're not uh, angry or fearful? Is there, is there other things that kind of uh, give you a spontaneous jolt? It's just, uh... uh, I don't know. If I'm not, you know, if I'm not unhappy, I don't really have much room to worry about things. I mean, I just sort of go along with it. Well, I, yeah. The thing is, I think a lot of people are angry and fearful and are not even conscious of it. They're so they live so much in that state that to them that's just normal everyday life. 
So it's not like a trigger. I mean, I had to train myself to be to become aware of being angry or fearful or something, because again, when you're when you're trapped in the story, it it just you know you never stand back from it and look at it. It's just what's going on. It's it's reality. So it took me a while to to figure out that that I could notice. Early, instead of three days later realizing that I've been pissed off for three days, it's like after two seconds I go, oh, okay, this is the, just the kind of situation where Heron gets pissed off. <laughs> you know? And, and then you have a little bit of distance from it? Well, for me, it, it, it stops the whole thing. It just short-circuits the whole thing. Like I say, when I, when I discover that I'm angry... It's already too late in, the, in that sense. If I'm angry or fearful, I've already been sucked. I mean, the whole point is that's, that's what happens when you get sucked into a stupid story. So uh, by the time I notice it, it's already happened. But, but in noticing it, like I say, that, it may not have been that way in the beginning, but the way it works now is that the moment I notice that I'm unhappy about something, in a sense, that stops it right there. Because at that moment, I, I you know, I check in and I listen to my life. If I'm angry, there's my voice. There's a voice in my head going, "That son of a bitch! What the hell does he think he is? I'm gonna, you know, blah blah blah." It's just going around and on and on and on, and I've just been caught up in it. But again, there there are there are situations where the language machine isn't the instigator of it. Like I said, there can be other other causes. You know, like if you've got a brain tumor or something, and, and it's causing feelings of anger that aren't related to a story, and then the story is generated to to make sense of the anger. So it, that's why again, you know, sometimes talking. You know, the difference between talking therapy and uh, and drug therapy. Most stuff, I think, is amenable to, to clearing up the talk. But if but if it's being generated for some other reason, and that and but even that, even if it is being generated for other reasons, if you can clear up the talk part of it, then it you know that would seem to be helpful at least. Certainly. And with. With clearer language, you could then help someone else by by them hearing you. Well, that's the idea. Yeah. So you're you're familiar with this idea of oneness, like we talked about earlier, the non-duality, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I, it's a, it's a, it's another concept that I uh, have retained intellectually. But if something like that were were true, wouldn't that mean that there there can't be problems, as we call them? Well, what would it mean? What do you mean if that were true? It's just a story. It's a way of thinking about your experience. One, it's a nice story. 
oneness or, or non-duality. Yeah, and so that's that's all language. There's no non-duality. Eagles don't think about non-duality. Well, I assume there's, they don't. Maybe they do. What the hell do I know? <laughs> there's, well, there's, uh, there's no reference point. It, it seems to me like if one could really get that, that there's no reference point, then there, they would have to admit, well, I, I don't know enough about this situation in order to be angry about it because I don't know if it really actually is good or bad or right. that there yeah. even is such a thing as good or bad. Right, yeah. Like I say, once you, to me, like I say, the whole thing is breaking the identity with the voice. Once, once you get the story, is just a story. It may be a good story, but it's still just a story. That's it, period. We live in a mystery. Get it. It's a mystery. We don't fucking know what the hell is going on. Yeah. That's, to me, the bottom line. If, you, if you're depressed or angry or pissed off, then you must think you know what's going on. Yeah. A, a, a specific example that happened to me recently was I, I went into a, uh, a public restroom and there was, uh, you know, the, the toilet was dirty to the point where I, I you know, would <laughs> yeah. not want to sit on it. Yeah. And, it, and my language machine was saying, this is bad, this is really bad. Yeah. And then I sort of thought, well, how do I know? How do I know if this is bad? Well, see, this is bad. See, this is where, like, say, you start analyzing it. Uh, you're you're fading bad. out here. I can't hear you. Oh, that's because I had my mic moved up to a different position. Uh, you can hear me okay now? Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's why it's important at some point to really start analyzing the language. This is bad. And the beginning of that is getting rid of the verb to be. I mean, that's that's really basic. What you really want to say, what you, if anything closer to the reality would be, I don't like this. Yes. But this is bad is just bad language. You know, it's useless language. To be. Yeah, getting yeah, rid of the verb to thing, be. A, a thing or something. It, it's, it's just like what Alan... it is. It's just what it is. What is, is. That's all there is to it. We come along and we judge it and comment on it and categorize it and say all sorts of shit. Fine. <laughs> yeah, like what Alan Watts said, where it's not so much a thing as it is an event. Well, yeah, there are no things anyway. Yeah, there, there, there's just what's going on. And... Besides, the bacteria on that toilet seat are having a ball. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's it's just perfect. Or, or couldn't they're be better with each other. Or yeah, yeah, you know, they couldn't have a better place. Yeah, you can say I don't like this. That's dirty. I, somebody should clean this. I think somebody should clean it. <laughs> you know. But this is bad? Again, that's, that's sort of shorthand. If you understand 
that that's nonsense, then you can go ahead and say things like, oh, this is bad. That was really bad. You should have seen that toilet seat, man. It was bad. Yeah, if you understand that the the thing speaking, it, it's just kind of a uh, it's just kind of a mechanical game that's on autopilot. Yeah, autopilot's a good a good analogy for this. It doesn't matter what it's saying no. if, if you if you don't think it is. Well, if you're not, yeah, if you're not trapped in the story, if you don't think that's reality, that's the way the world really is. As a, again, that's the distinction: the distinction between a way of thinking about something as opposed to the way the world really, really, really is. All we have is our experience and our ways of thinking about our experience. There is nothing else that I can say. Man, that that to be thing, I is were am that yeah, really all fucks you up, doesn't it? Sure does. Have you read the article on E Prime on Wikipedia? E Prime? Yeah. I well E Prime is English minus the verb to be. A guy named David Borland uh, first came up with the concept, grew out of general semantics and Alfred Korzybski. And basically, I mean, one of the fundamental tenets of Korzybski's work is the elimination of the is of identity, the verb to be. Uh, ah. but, if, but, if you, but David Borland went one f step further and just started writing without the verb to be at all, just eliminated it. It's difficult. Sometimes it's, you have to be a little bit more wordy. But what you find when you write without the verb to be is that there's a lot less ambiguity and, and weirdness. <laughs> you know, things get a lot simpler. You know, it's like people arguing about... I've, I've heard people argue, you know, that that was a great movie. Oh, that movie sucked. That was a terrible movie. No, 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 no. That was a great movie. Fucking idiots! A stupid argument. I liked that movie. Ooh, I didn't. <laughs> Why did you like it? Why didn't you like it? Well, you know, you can actually have a discussion. But arguing about whether it's a good movie or a bad movie is just <laughs> pointless. Man, I don't know how many arguments there have been online about you know which what which something is was better than the other. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's just totally insane. And that and and most conversations are about that stupid. And most arguments, certainly most arguments, uh, if you eliminate the verb, I mean, if you just if you are around somebody arguing, if the word the and the verb to be, well, and all the five stupidities, they're just at the heart of almost every argument. I. This is this is good. I don't know that I have had it undone like this before. Good. So now you got uh, more more of a story that you can tell. <laughs> I know I have more things to think about. That's right. <laughs> oh man. Uh, it's. It's six thirty right now. Is there anything in particular you would like to talk about before it's over? Um, no, I, actually, I'm thinking. You know, we don't really need to talk anymore. What you should do is start meditating in, in a week after you've done it twice a day for twenty minutes each time. And I would do it at the same. I would either get up twenty minutes earlier, 
or depending upon what your day is, I would set aside a particular time that works. Make sure you're not going to be interrupted, and and just start doing it. Well, how do you how do you feel about spending more time than forty minutes a day doing it? Oh, I don't care if you do more. I just say, yeah, I don't think you, if you want to do more, that's fine. But I'd say at least at least twice a day, twenty minutes. As long as I don't break any ribs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, honestly, uh, that came as a great surprise to me. I mean, I didn't break it, break it, but I cracked it anyway, you know, and I and it hurt like hell for like three weeks till it healed. Did you kind of overextend the... Uh, yeah, the I was just, yeah, I was uh, basically, you know, seeing just how much air I could put in my lungs. And I found out <laughs> just how much you can before you break a rib. <laughs> Is someone doing this practice, like uh, expanding, uh, increasing the uh, volume that you can inhale, are they in danger of doing that thing where it, it um, puts too much uh, pressure, uh, like blood pressure on the extremities? Uh, I don't know. I never I thought just, of that. The reason why I ask about it is because I saw something about it recently. It's like a, they call it a certain maneuver that uh, pilots do in order to uh, to keep from uh, blacking out in high G maneuvers. Uh -huh. They uh, they breathe in a lot and then kind of forcibly uh, hold the breath, and it it pushes blood like up and down and out and stuff, and it helps keeps the uh, the brain from oh, yeah. blacking out. Yeah, it may be. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't want to give myself an aneurysm. No, I, like I say, I would not push this as hard as I did. I mean, you you do I you do want to push it. You want to you want to explore again, especially this. How long can you go before taking another breath? Mm. You want to push that, but not, not to the point of, of of passing out or anything. Even close to that, it's just you just want to become familiar with what it feels like. You know, when when you're just relaxed and not breathing, and and the air is just slowly draining out, and your body begins to need oxygen, and it's not getting it. And at first, it's you know, I mean, again, we're we're just not used to that, so we 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 never even experience that. So this is really about just sort of gaining some sensual experience around that breathing process. Well, just from what I've been doing with it. Uh, since we've been talking today, I, I, I did it, and then came back here. And when I, when I was lying down, and I opened my eyes again. I did experience something. I know that sounds weird, but I mean, I, <laughs> you experienced something good. That's a start. <laughs> yeah. But, I well, let, let's say this. I experienced something which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Oh, even better. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's. that's one and of the and again, I would take my sense is somewhere between five and ten seconds on the inhale. You know, so take. You know, it's, it's not rushed. This is all really slow and relaxed. So. Uh, somewhere between five and ten seconds to take it in. Hold it for a second or two. And then just relax. Don't exhale. Don't make the air go out. Just 
relax and lay there. If you're laying on your back with your arms, you know, laying on the floor, maybe a couple of inches away from your side. So, you know, you're just sort of laying there and then you just sort of observe uh, gravity and air pressure on your body. And when you feel it's time to take another breath, then you repeat the process. And then, like I say, then you may just do some regular un- uh, regulated breathing and, and the mantra or paying attention to the breath uh, and just laying there and listening to the language machine. And also, if in the process of doing this, you find a really interesting idea that you, you should add to your journal, it's perfectly okay to stop and write something down if it's important. Because sometimes you get really neat ideas when you're doing this and you might not want to lose them. So there's no problem with stopping for a moment uh, and notate something for you to think about later. Okay, You don't want to be thinking about it at the time so much, but if there's something you want to remember or some idea that popped up that's worth exploring later, then you want to take the time to note it. Okay. What I'm going to do is I'm going to create a, a separate uh, text file here. And ah, keep just for that. Yeah, a, a log of uh, um, how how often, how long, and, and when I'm, I'm doing this. That wouldn't hurt. Yeah. So so that I can't cheat. So we, yeah, well, so at least you know what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. It's called being conscious. <laughs> All right. Let's see. August the second. Yeah, and if you have any questions on this, I would say. Actually, yeah, you should definitely keep and write down questions in this log too about about you know what. But I would say we should not talk for at least a week. Okay. And and you should do this, and then we'll probably have plenty to talk about. All right. Well, I can't make any guarantees on how often or how long, but I can guarantee <laughs> that I'm not going to lie about. How, how much I did. Yeah, right. Thank you. Yeah, that's, uh, I, I couldn't ask for any more. <laughs> well, again, yeah, I could. I could ask you to make a commitment to doing it, well, regardless. We're, we're, but we're but at, if you're not ready to do that, then you're not going to do that. So. Well, we're at a point right here where I, I really ran out of options. And this is, I mean, if I have only one thing left, this is what I'm going to do. <laughs> well, search around. Maybe you'll find something better. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you're you're absolutely right. We, I have certainly reached a, a point where thought probably can't take me any farther. Well, it, it who knows? Maybe it can. Maybe it can't. But it, but it's 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 not the whole, again the whole yeah yeah. Yeah, what, never mind. I, I'm just <laughs> blowing air out of my mouth. All right. I'm, I'm going to do it. Okay. Thank you very much. So we're done for today, Don? Uh, yes. Okay. Um, unless, uh, I mean, I, there's someone else here. If he has something to say, I, I might want to stick around and listen. Yeah, well, let me uh, let me turn on his mic and see if he actually is here. I'm listening. Okay, I'm yeah, he's saying what you're doing. He's here. Hearing what you're doing. Yeah. So again, been a while and uh, yeah, yeah, just checking in, saying hi. Got it.
So you got nothing to add to any of this then? Uh, I was listening to a little bit of it. Um, I I can speculate uh, as to what you're doing. And, no, uh, I don't want to hear any here. speculation on what I'm doing. Thanks. <laughs> well, no, I meant I, you're you're doing some meditative uh, techniques of some sort. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, the, the, you know, you said a, a week, right, Aaron? Yeah. Okay. And, and again, it doesn't. I mean. I, if something comes up and it, it needs to be talked about, then you know I'm just throwing that out as like I say. I, I I just think you know we've we've talked a lot of times about a lot of shit. Your understanding of a lot of this stuff is, you know, is way deeper than most people's. Um, and I I just think, you know, it's time to get past all the the talk stories and and do something at a level that's deeper than that. Yes, that that's exactly it. Well, okay. That <laughs> I got it. As as I, yeah, I know. It. Never mind. <laughs> Man, you got I it. it. Yeah, but see, you got it. That's exactly it, really. <laughs> what? Hey, man, I know exactly what I'm talking about. You got it. <laughs> All right. Well, Until I guess I I'll see you on the ninth. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'll be looking forward to it. I know, I know exactly what I'm talking about until I open my mouth. Yeah. That's, that's how I feel uh, a lot of the times, actually. The moment I go to open my mouth, I'm like, uh, what was that I was going to say? I can't explain it. concussion I had uh, not too long ago is still affecting me and uh, I did picked up a pair of lizards so uh, I'll be using them as um, therapy or do you stick one of them in each ear or, or what do you do with the lizards no no these are uh, a companion uh, I, I don't like cats I'm in an apartment building so dogs are out of the question uh, uh, so you just want some other some... living entity around yeah, to deal yeah. with. Yeah, they're good. Yeah, plants and, uh, are good too. Yeah. You know. Well, these are really cool. They're, these are these are tegus, so they uh, you know they they're blue tegus. So these will grow to you know three and a half feet, uh, and will live up to twenty years. So yeah. you know it is a it is a, it is a, a big commitment. Yeah, you yeah. got your job cut out. Yeah. They they're extremely intelligent. They're like well, uh, for lizards anyway. For lizards, they are <laughs> extreme. No, they are extremely intelligent for reptiles. Period. Yeah, for yeah. Uh, they're probably the smartest reptiles of all of them. Uh, that ain't right? saying much. <laughs> well, actually, it is because they're capable of learning quite a bit. Really? Okay. Well, I'm not up on lizards. I haven't kept. I know that certain birds are pretty damned intelligent. So oh, shit. Pretty so, impressive. Yes. Some of those are just incredible. But all my uh, all my experiences with snakes, and it's always been one way street. No, no snakes are. Yeah, yeah. Not, not one way street when it comes to yeah, emotions. Yeah. There is no two way. And yeah. uh, when I saw YouTube on tegus, I was like, what? You mean a reptile that actually gets it and understands it and gives it back? Wow. 
That really floored me. I, I was well, really. How do you spell it? Tegu. Tegu. T e g u. Okay, I'll, I'll have to take a look at that and see. The, about the, that. the one in particular is: Do tegus go out of their way to seek human attention? And the answer is: Once they've been trained properly, the answer is yes. Yeah. 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 Well, I'll check them out. They can very be very beautiful. Uh, takes takes a long time to tame them down. Um, but they become like a little puppy dog. They'll follow you around. <laughs> cool. <laughs> I got it. No, yeah, I like dog. I don't know if I, you know, lizards, you know, all animals are awesome, really. I mean, you know, guinea pigs, you know, I mean, everything, man, they're all beautiful. Fish. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, plants. To each their own, you know. Yeah, right. experience yeah. with so many different animals, you know. Yeah, they're, they're all different. They're all unique. And the, the pair I have, uh, their their bloodline is fucking fantastic. Uh, she's she's from one of five true Brazilian male uh, females, and uh, he came from uh, a UK bloodline. He's chipped, so he can't be stolen from me. I can find him to within three feet anywhere on the planet. And uh, the potential, she's like she's worth about forty grand. Uh, a year in, in eggs. Well, you can retire. Good for you. Well, I don't, but that's, that's not why I'm getting them. Well, I'm but that's a good them. reason to get them. <laughs> that's just going to be an added bonus later. 40,000 a year? That's more than a fucking added bonus. That's if you, because they are capable of breeding twice per year, but personally, I think that's too much. Well, listen, you figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I will. I will. I hope I will. I have no experience with lizards. All my experience is with snakes. Well, now, now you're now having... You're well, you do have some experience with lizards now. I do you now, A small yeah. amount of experience, and you'll gain more. I'm gaining every day, as are they. We're yep. teaching each other. Yeah. Well, listen, lizards are fascinating, but that's not why I'm here to talk. <laughs> so... Yeah, I got uh, when my money came in. I got a, a Bowflex Extreme Two. Uh, I got a draft drafting table. It's been uh, almost three days now of no video games. Ah, I'm trying to find other avenues of escape, um, and so far I'm being successful. Why escape? Why? Uh, I, I'm taught because I see these video games as being escape. Well, I know, well, but I, I mean, why find another means? Of, why even be escape? You know, I, my sense is boredom is one of the best teachers around. Do get rid of all that shit, and if there's nothing to do, stare at the fucking wall and deal with it. I just I want that'll to do be a great structure. I want to do something constructive as opposed to playing a mindless video game. Well, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. Well, I would say even doing nothing is better than, in, at least as part of it. I, I think people really, really hate boredom because all the all the unpleasant thoughts uh, come up in their heads, and so they try to find something to quiet that. And anything, you know, doesn't make any difference what it is. It could be TV, could be video games, could be sex, could be drinking, could be anything. But it's all to stop 
the voice in their head that has all these weird thoughts. And my sense is the important, the way to approach this is to shut all that shit down and face those voices. Well, that was that the lizards are one of those. Yeah. Know, there's yeah. something to, they're not just to distract me. There's something. Yeah, that yeah, can be, can yeah, be. I agree. I'll, I'm just suggesting that, that this idea of boredom can be an important teaching tool of, of facing, you know, this, again, we're always, at least I'm aware of, of wanting to be distracted by something, something, you know, you know, maybe something important, that would be even better, but, uh, well, anyway, I don't know, and I'm, I'm just rambling here, I'm really talked out, I think, I don't, I don't really want to talk anymore. Yeah, I actually have to feed these little, little boogers. Well, why don't you feed the little boogers, and um, and I'm, I think I'm just going to take off. Yeah, well, it was nice talking to you again. It's been a while. Yeah, Peter, yeah. good good talking to you. And Don, uh, I'll talk to you whenever we talk again. And I think I'm just going to take off. So, um, Have yourself an awesome evening. Yeah, you yeah. too, man. Good good hearing your voice again. Have a good evening. Yeah, yeah uh, we'll talk bye, again. Bye. Bye. Yeah, later.